Welcome to In the Landscape, a podcast on all things landscape design and care related with your hosts, Kate and Charles Sadler. Welcome to a brand new year, a brand new decade, and a brand new episode of In the Landscape. We're back. (laughs) We're back. (laughs) I'm your host, Kate Sadler, and I'm in studio with my co-host, Charles Sadler. Charles, good to be back. We took a week off for the holidays here. And of course, we do love evergreen content, but we have to admit that this episode will come out on January 1st, 2020. Very excited to be looking forward to a whole new year of podcast episodes. And uh, we got the routine kind of going partway Mm -hmm. through the year last year. And so hopefully these new episodes will be seasonal and timely and informative. We've gained new listeners and that's very exciting. So we thank Mm -hmm. you for supporting us in the last year. And we look forward to the year ahead. Yeah, very grateful. Absolutely. So today we're going to talk a little bit about matters having to do with real estate, which may be very exciting (laughs) to many of our listeners, buying, selling, curb appeal, all of that. Mm -hmm. Before we get to our topic, though, this is one of those podcasts where we do like to get caught up a little bit (laughs) at the outset. Anyone who needs to skip forward to the content, feel free. We understand. (laughs) But you were actually traveling quite a bit just right up until the holidays started here. That's right. Um, Where were you and what were you doing? Well, let's see. The first stop was New Orleans. And that was an exciting visit to a historic home designed by Ellen Shipman. Well, actually, she designed the landscape. Charles Platt was the the architect. And that was the first half of the 20th century is when they were working on that. Shipman was really one of the pioneering female landscape architects. And so that was very exciting to see. Imagine something that's about, I guess, roughly 80 years old. And that it's for a garden that's a, a high-maintenance, more or less garden, to be in good shape after 80 years is quite a feat with all kinds of different owners. And I mean, it's, it's now a public garden. That was a, a great trip. I met with the uh, curator there, one of the head gardeners. Got a behind-the-scenes tour. I saw some of the original drawings, plans. That's wonderful. And actually, one of the reasons that you went was in preparation for a talk that you'll be giving in Manhattan at the Rizzoli Bookstore in February, February 12th. It's official, so we can announce it on the air. You are going to be giving a talk about this space and including some of the photos that you took on your trip, I think. Correct, right. Essentially, we're mentioning it because we're sort of teasing a future episode. Once you've Mm -hmm. given the talk there in Manhattan, we'll go ahead and record an episode all about this amazing landmark female landscape architect, a pioneer in her field, and then this special property here in the South. So we just sort of wanted to... <laughs> we should say it's sponsored by to the Institute of Classical Art and Architecture, ICAA. It's sponsoring the talk, yes. Right. And so they're and, like a real advocate for classical art architecture, which will include great landscape design, landscape architecture. Well, and the cool tie-in is there's a book about this property, Longview, that was published by Rizzoli, correct? Correct, right. And so you will tie it all together Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a really neat way. So if you'd like to see some of the pictures from that visit, because of course it was decorated for the holidays, beautiful poinsettia out front, some beautiful garlands and- and Amaryllis. Yes, happening. So what we always want to direct our listeners to our professional- Instagram page. Um, So it includes photos that relate to the podcast, Mm -hmm. but of course, it's also for the professional landscape design firm that we run. And the address for that is it's instagram.com forward slash K 
King Garden Inc. You know, the visual to go with all these garden stories, mm-hmm. I think, is, and is kind of nice. There were great decorations, too, yeah, in, they were, in New Orleans. That, oh, right. Like that one main street, St. Charles. That right. was very pretty, gosh. Yeah. In the French Quarter, but really St. Charles, you just saw the, you know, the economics and the architecture, the history. It was the terminus, or it is the terminus of the Mississippi River. And so all that commerce throughout the United States, it was pretty fascinating to see how that manifested itself in homes and gardens and people that are still enjoying homes and gardens. And many of them are very well cared for still. Well, we ha- uh, did one Garden City episode on Chicago. And so we'll include more information about New Orleans when you do the episode on Longview in particular, mm-hmm. just to invite people to visit that city a great deal of recovering to do after Hurricane Katrina. And and I know much of it's still on the mend somewhat economically. And, right. and so we do, we do still feel for that region and what they went through. So we are talking real estate and natural disasters, notwithstanding buying and selling homes can be stressful and a source of <laughs> concern for many homeowners. And of course you only have so much control over what the market is like in a given year. And where your geography is obviously has a lot to do with uh, home prices. But there are steps that, of course, you can take to improve curb appeal. One of the terms that even I know from from buying and selling homes is this concept of staging the interior Mm -hmm. so that you're giving people coming through the space a chance to kind of visualize themselves in it, but not giving them necessarily too specific an image. So they feel alienated by your design choices. Right. Or your art choices. Let's say that's like so specific. Absolutely. And so inviting in a professional to take a look can actually yield positive dividends when it comes to your selling price. And of course, as you're looking for a new property to own or even rent, understanding the condition of the landscape is an important factor because you may be taking on you know, tree repair, again, even as a renter, you're still kind of the front line in terms of spotting it and reporting it to a landlord or something. And you may not even know what you have in front of you. So where would you like to start today? Well, let's see. I guess folks that are selling, right? Yeah. That's a good place to start. There's lots of good guidelines. There was an article in the Washington Post. Bob Vila's website had, uh, and we'll cite all of these, American Society of Landscape Architects has good info on, this is all relating to landscape and and real estate value, and then the Appraisal Institute, which is for real estate. And you even found an article from the, I believe it's the Journal of Real Estate Research. Oh, right. So Correct. if you think about real estate, it's it's very numbers-based, extremely numbers-based. And there are real estate statisticians out there doing really in-depth analysis of home values and whether something like planting trees actually affects values. And so what mm-hmm. we We'll link to these so that we're citing the appropriate papers, but essentially the answer is yes, it does have a positive impact on the selling price of your home to invest something in the landscape before you move. Right, correct. And so people always say, well, how, you know, it's how much do you invest? What percentage? So it's, there are guidelines, but it's really specific to your region. I mean, some of the guidelines are to invest five to 10% of your home's value. And that it can return 15 to 20%. So that's all the literature cites that, like within that range. And we were sort of discussing 
I think of it as intangible. I suppose maybe that, again, I mentioned those statisticians, they may be out there and they've done the research of how many like foot traffic generated by curb appeal. But in a sense, well, we can quantify the 15 to 20% return on your home value, I guess not on the investment, but on the home value itself, that you may even increase foot traffic in a way that you couldn't quite quantify necessarily. But if you think of paying like the mortgage for an extra month because it doesn't sell, having this really appealing landscape is what gets people through the door. Or an extra six months or an extra 12 months. I mean, homes, when I do research, homes are on the market for 18 months or they'll be on for six months off, like when you look at the history. Well, and a question I have, I'm, we could look it up. It just occurred to me now, because when we were talking about researching this episode, you were mentioning that if there is an unappealing exterior, people don't even come inside. Right. And it's like the literature cites that. And I talk to realtors all the time. So it's if the landscape is unappealing or offensive, where it's, or the, if the house is in disrepair on the outside, people will not whether they're driving by and, and seeing it or seeing it online, they're not, it's going to stop them in their tracks. They're not going to, and the inside is often beautiful. Maybe the inside has been, every room has been renovated, new kitchen, new bathroom, and the outside they hadn't gotten to. And so the outside is very important. Well, and I do wonder too, if more, more of your average citizen think I like, I can paint walls, I can replace flooring, but unless you're a garden enthusiast or a landscape professional, the exterior may be so daunting that you wouldn't even know where to start. Like overgrown weeds somehow, maybe you just pull them out and edge the beds and mulch and it would be fine. <laughs> but as someone who comes to the industry from that not being my primary background, for example, I think it would just seem too overwhelming to me. Right. Whereas like, oh, I could get out of, you know, I could go get some paint and, and freshen up the walls. I have, a, I have a, 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 bit, a better imagination for how to, how to tackle a fixer-upper from the inside rather than the outside, uh, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And it's often the reverse, I would say. The outside's often neglected. Yeah. So I do wonder, because one of the things that you see a lot online these days are the street view images. Now, of course, your realtor is probably going to try to capture high-quality photography of the exterior, but there is also an element that you don't have as much control over, which would be your street view. Right. through some of the mapping software that's out there. Mm-hmm. So wh- when should you, you know, some people get the news that their job is moving and they have three months to, <laughs> to get out of Dodge. How much time should we spend considering a landscape if our intention is eventually to sell the house? Is it like as soon as you think like, oh, we might like to downsize in five years or something? So like, like that would be a good amount of time. Because if you think like two years sounds reasonable, but then with growing seasons, it might really just be like a year. The plants, by the time you contact somebody. And so unless you're going with almost full-size plants, if the plants are going to more or less sit there, they're going to be sleeping, quote unquote, for that first year. So five years would be a great amount of time. And then to start to think and then say, this is, I think, what we want to do. This is our budget. And then in the coming season, implement it. Then you'd have like three or four seasons for it to grow in. Well, and it's almost like your budget is directly proportional to the time as or inversely proportional. So as your time uh, decreases, correct. your budget has to increase. Ah, I correct. got that. Very good. <laughs> I had to think it through. That's multiple um, choice. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> SAT question. Right. So the idea being 
that if you do start planning five years out, I mean, first of all, you'll have invested. And if you don't move, you might get to enjoy a nicer landscape. But you were mentioning that doing just a little bit or, or having little plants that look in, incomplete or unfinished. So, so let's say you're rushing to, to get it done and you don't invest in the larger plants. You're actually not going to get a great return. What the literature shows is having insignificant plants. So like very small do-it-yourself plants that might be a container that's a two-gallon container or, or, or a five-gallon and the plants, let's say, are maybe one or two feet tall, that can hurt the value of the house. It can look, it's better not to have, not to have that than to have plants that look tiny. Okay, so that's kind of the, the, the opposite of what we're dis- describing, which is giving it an ample time. And so this is not to suggest that if you hear this podcast and you have to sell in a week, that you should rush out and get tiny plants and try to throw them in the ground. Right, so there's that, other strategies, which we can yeah. go over for that. So having... Planting trees, I guess it's interesting how it's good ecologically and good psychologically, which are trees. People are relaxed with trees. Birds and wildlife like trees. That's good for real estate value too. So more or less having tree cover on the perimeter of the property. So depending on how urban or how rural or suburban, it would be the side that faces the street. I'm going to guess that's not as dense tree cover, but the other sides of the property where there's adjacent homes and properties, the literature shows it's favorable to have some tree cover, not that it's a jungle. That's If it's too dark and shady, that's not appealing to most people. Great. And again, if, if when in doubt, consult a professional. So the, the idea is if you give yourself just enough time, just as you might consult a professional stager for the interior of the home, um, certainly a realtor who knows the market and how to, how to market your home effectively. The landscape professional can be a real asset here, that it's really about getting people through the door, maximizing the curb appeal, and just having an independent resource kind of evaluate, you know, are you getting the most out of the landscape? So just to summarize, if you do start early enough, you can actually reduce your budget because you're able to invest in the smaller plants and just give them the time to grow. If you don't have a lot of time in order to get the most bang for your buck, you really should be investing in the larger, more established plants. And if you had a pick, like let's say it's a, a modest size, like a three-bedroom house, there's a modest front lawn, picking one nice tree and planting that, that would be a good idea. If you didn't have a budget to do, that would be a better way to go than to have a lot of small, sh- or to have some small shrubs and no tree. I mean, right. that, that would have impact. Some of the guidelines that come to mind are, the aesthetic of the landscape, if it's, a, let's say, a Mediterranean home, the style of the landscape should be compatible with the home. It should look like it fits together. And again, that may not even, that may not be your style. That wild, overgrown English garden may have like the, you know, the romanticism and the variety that just totally speaks to your heart. But if that's not in keeping with the style of the home or in a way that the aesthetic of staging is a very clean kind of open sort of anonymous look, because again, you're inviting the, the, the potential home buyer in <laughs> to kind of see themselves in the space. And so it may not be the right time to go crazy with your own aesthetic, unfortunately. Right. Like and again, the realtor and the landscape professional can advise you. Right. Like not to be too out there, that it's simple, that it looks unified. So if you have a modest budget now, and again, we're talking about, oh, 10% of your house's value, 
that can be quite a lot of cash on hand. I think maybe that's the, it's one thing to have the ideal budget based on your home value. It's another to have the money lying around that you can just invest mm. until you oh, sell yeah. your home. Good point. So we recognize that. Is there anything you can DIY do yourself? Is there anything that you should focus on first if you're going to prioritize the money and your use of a landscape professional? Well, yeah, good question. I mean, the planting is sort of the last thing to occur. So what the literature says, which I would agree with, is what you currently have, whether they're shrubs and trees, is to get those looking tidy so they're not over, they don't look overgrown. It looks proportionate to the house. It's not creating dark shade. It's not rubbing up against the house. And so we always advocate using, you know, like a certified arborist, really finding somebody who's going to do quality, quality tree work. And we recognize that you often get what you pay for. So this would be a time to really invest in high quality sort of assessment by a certified arborist and then have a crew coming in that not only is going to cut the trees in a healthy way, but this is where having somebody who has kind of like the landscape design and arboriculture combination mm-hmm. is helpful just because, as you say, additional consideration, aesthetic considerations can be made. So consulting a designer, some of the projects I work on, the homeowner senses that the trees are overgrown. They move into a house and they're like, oh my gosh, it's really overgrown. They contact an arborist. The arborist takes out trees and, that, and then I become involved. That's happened. So, And, what, and how, do you, how would you become involved? Uh, and then like they're looking for landscape design services. Oh, I see. So I guess my opinion on the trees, I'm thinking of the aesthetics and that it's ecological. The arborist is often thinking of it almost more like a forester. Like, oh, this tree is too close to the house, automatically goes. Oh, it's a certain kind of tree, it automatically gets removed. So I guess my goals and priorities. So it, there's value in meeting with a designer that has some tree knowledge. If you met just with an arborist, it might be safe, but there might be plants that would be removed, which did have some value. Great. Okay. So just based on your experience and there are other, <laughs> we know there are right. other great professionals out there, but it, it doesn't hurt to have a team of people. We've always mm-hmm. suggested that. We get a lot of feedback from the group that's there doing the weekly maintenance and, and so on, because that's how you really care for a landscape. Yeah, there's a project. I remember an alumni of Syracuse, Keith Wagner, landscape architect in Vermont. His practice is in the Burlington area. One of the projects, remember, he showed in a, in a presentation it was a new home going to be built on a, on a property on, I think it was Lake Champlain. And there were those very contemporary home, very modern landscape architecture. And the property was covered by overgrown arborvitae, basically, these cedars. And they were windswept. And it looked awkward. It didn't look like an asset. And so many people would have just cut those down. Keith Wagner saw it. Well, we, we couldn't selectively prune and there's this amazing view when you're pulling in the driveway of this cedar tree, which has been blown by the wind. It's leaning, and then it corrects itself. And there's a sense of place. There's a sense that this has been here, that it's, it gives a sense of richness, which you couldn't buy with new plants. Really nice. So that's a first step to, to essentially get an assessment. And we've talked about this before in terms of like even being a first step of a landscape design is the inventory and taking, assessing what you have, and then potentially investing in quality aesthetic pruning, perhaps certain quality removals, if that's appropriate. Maybe 
maybe even transplanting. You might be right. able to get away with moving things you already have to spaces that are more inviting and appropriate for the space and the program that you would imagine an incoming family might have. Anything, and then what might be a next step following that? Well, let's see, trim everything back that's valuable and then contact a, a, a designer. The plantings for sale, it would be similar to like the inside of the house. Keep it maybe a little simpler. Uh, when in doubt, go simpler. So not too much variety, but things that look lush, green, evergreen. Having color, that's often suggested. So having perennials or annuals near key areas like front door, if there's a back entrance, a patio, a pool. So having color, more or less having nondescript plants that just look nice and uniform, nice trees, and then in key areas having color, which and the color could be in planters. Now, as I understand it, what is in the ground has to stay with the home. So you can't plant a gorgeous Japanese maple to try to draw people in and then take that with you. Oh, I think, right. And again, I mean, laws are so specific to county, state, country. <laughs> so I may have a limited view of that. But I think the idea would be don't plant anything that you can't stand to part with. <laughs> right, that's come up people have, right, in our practice. That idea of, of, of taking something with you has come right, up. <laughs> right. Or if you want it to come with you, maybe it, you need to consider potting it and getting it kind of staged and ready to go before you show the home. Because I, I would imagine things in movable planters do get to come with you. Right. And so if you if you want to have, I mean, I don't know what the balance is there of like, everything's in containers. And so it looks really great. But then when the people move in, it's all gone. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> It'll be similar maybe to furniture. Yeah. We might have, you know, an amazing armoire, dining room table. And the buyer could say, I'd like to buy that. What, how much is that in addition to the home? Right. So what about from the buyer's perspective or the renter's perspective? Would it make sense to, we pay for a home inspection, for example, and they check everything out. Is it not a bad idea to have a landscape inspection? Mm -hmm. You know, I've done some of those over the years and it could be done in person. Of course, would be the best way, but even an online consultation where you get with the satellite imaging, with a GPS soft, like a Google, Google Earth or a similar one, and the real estate listing photos. You can find out quite a bit from photos, like to see are, there's, are there red flags. And the Google Earth photos and other ones, depends on the neighborhood, the region. They could easily be two years old. So if you're doing great improvements, it's not going to be a secret, you know, that it's... <laughs> so, so let's see, for the... The buyer's point of view. I mean, one one test would be when you visit this property you're considering buying, were the plants just planted, which is not necessarily bad, but I mean, just by by physically, if it's a if it's a shrub, just wiggling it, is it loose? Was it planted like five days ago? And and so if things were just planted, things might not survive. So in six months, all these you know these. Maybe it was thousands of dollars was spent to sell the house, and it wasn't really the right plant for the right place. Maybe it was planted poorly. It wasn't good quality. It might look great. And so, I mean, that's often often happens. One of the benefits of having a podcast, well, drawback benefit, we prepare the episode, we research it, we discuss, and then we put it out there. And there's always the potential that we have a question on air, like, oh, this is like we didn't research. Or that's something we'd love to follow up on in the future. So if there are any 
landscape professionals that have experience with this, staging homes or have additional advice that they think we should cover, or if there are real estate professionals that listen to the podcast or catch this episode in particular, drop us a line, connect at kinggardeninc.com or reach out to us through instant you know, private messaging through our social media channels and let us know. And we right. will we'll do either a follow-up episode if it's appropriate. We'll certainly do it at the start of a follow-up when we do corrections at the beginning of a future episode or not even corrections necessarily, but additions. All right. Because it is, I think, a field that is so well understood by the people that work it day in and day out mm-hmm. in terms of the real estate realtors that there may be feedback on what they've seen and what works and what doesn't work that they would want to include. Uh, What about hardscaping? So if you're renting, buying, what should you look for in terms of the condition of the hardscaping? And can you do anything about it? (laughs) Yeah, the hardscaping. Always ask for credit, I suppose. In the literature, it explains hardscaping is expensive. Walkways, driveways, patios, steps. So on the seller's point of view, that would be a high ticket item like to, to repair or to do new. So if it's on the buyer's point of view, if it needed repairs, it's a large ticket item. It's, you don't really have the option. I mean, for landscaping, it could be a few hundred dollars at a time. It could be a few thousand dollars at a time. The hardscaping is almost always thousands of dollars and it could be many tens of thousands. It could be a hundred thousand dollars. Do you, as a landscape designer, have a way of assessing like visually, or do you have to do oh, sure. sort of more extensive measuring? Like, how do you tell if hardscaping is? You can tell if it's been repaired. If oh, if the mortar is more recent, if there's cracks. So if you look, the a lay person could look at hardscaping. If you looked very carefully, you can determine if it's if it's settled. If there's low spots, if it's been repaired, like there's a section that's been repaired. And then there's a section that hasn't been. Hardscaping often settles and sinks. So like if there's a low spot where it comes in near the house and there's maybe water pooling up, it can settle. If there are walls and there's cracks in the walls, like a, there's a wall and then when the wall turns, it's called a return. So with the, where the return comes back and like meets the house or meets a walkway, that's a spot that's, which could fail. So you want to look for potential failures. The same with the trees really on the property. Things that could potentially fail or look very carefully for signs that did fail. Like a big tree limb fell, it cracked the sidewalk. There's no tree limb there anymore, but if you look up in the tree, oh, there's something and then there's a crack on the sidewalk. So it's similar to tree failure. When there's a failure, when something breaks, it's likely to keep occurring. So if if there's a crack in a walk or in a wall, it's kind of probably going to continue. Now, a home is a big ticket item. Is it appropriate to even go so far as to, and I, <laughs> this may matter more for some buyers than others. And I'm thinking of our listeners, people who care about landscapes. Mm-hmm. Is it appropriate to even get down and be like digging in the dirt? And kind of, because where we are, we had every reason to move to this area when we did. The backyard was an open rectangle, and that is completely acceptable because we knew that you would get to <laughs> do your magic. And mm-hmm. so there's no barrier in that case. But one thing we found is the soil is very clay, clay-y, mm-hmm. um, and probably hasn't been amended at all. I mean, is there a point at which it's not even going to be tenable to plant the way you would, might want to if the soil is of a certain type? And uh, Yeah, good question. Well, seeing, well, like one telltale sign, if there's, 
let's say there's there's shade under a tree or near a house, if there's no weeds growing in the soil, that's bad. Like (laughs) if even the weeds don't want to grow there. (laughs) You're not going to be able to get stuff to grow yourself. Right. And that has more to do with soil than the shade. Well, there's less, less weeds will grow in the shade. They're generally not as tall or as many. If there's not weeds growing, like you'll see an abandoned lot, it'll be full of grass. If you see an abandoned lot and there's almost nothing growing there, that's a sign that the soil is untenable, basically. That's good to know. So the native plants usually, like in Texas, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, all places we visit regularly, the native plants are adapted to the soil. So even this pretty much challenging Texas soil, this clay, like coastal meadowlands near Houston, the local plants are adapted to that. So no, but see if your aesthetic was that you want a formal European style garden, then there might need to be interventions with the soil and the drainage. So some of this assessment at the outset can just, I guess, give you a more realistic expectation of what, you know, as you're, as you're selling one place and buying the next, like how much of whatever profit you've made may need to go into the landscape in order to get it where you want it. Or, you know, and so it's that trade-off. Is this the right home, even if you can't have the landscape you want or vice versa? So one topic that's kind of in in the same area is new construction. So you're Mm. building your own home or you're picking maybe a model in a model development. At what point should you involve a landscape designer in the conversation? All right. We had that call recently for someone that was like they were purchasing property and to build on. Yeah, that's very valuable to see. My brother's field is forestry. And so he gets people want them to look at their property all the time. Are these trees worth anything to cut down and you know and into lumber, which would be large tracts of land? So ornamental plants, what may look like something that's valuable to a layperson might not be. It might be an invasive tree that's grown up and it really has no value that maybe it would cause a problem or development. It'd be hard to get rid of the roots. It'd be an invasive plant or something that might look not so special could be a native oak tree, let's say, that would have a very high value, produce shade, very long-lived, would attract wildlife. So having a professional assess, like we did an assessment recently, some of the native plants were very valuable. It, like I was even surprised. There were, some of the native plants are hard, hard to grow in a nursery condition. Mm-hmm. So the replacement value is quite high like for some of the tree valuations we do. And so you might be getting, I guess it could go either way. Like think you're buying this valuable forest (laughs) of trees (laughs) because we do also get, I guess that's another question. We get calls sometimes for people, they may be preparing to sell their home and they haven't shown it to anyone yet. So they're under no obligation to keep the plants that are there. And they're trying to make an attempt to sell what's there before they leave. Oh, right. And that is not necessarily going to be a moneymaker for you. We get that so, question a, f- yeah. a fair amount. So if you're, if you're buying property, get the trees assessed because it is, a, it is a part of the property value. And arborists with a specialized kind of consulting <laughs> practice may know how to do the tree valuation. You can look for that in particular. And then also, if you're selling your home and you think you might be able to get rid of some of your plants or sell them to make a profit. You might be able to give them to people who would give them a good home. I think when my mom moved from her home in California, 
she did a plant sale that benefited her garden club. Oh, right. And there were people there who just wanted her, you know, her specimens. Yeah, her beautiful so garden. It was not to make a profit per se, but it was it was to ensure that the plants would go to people who would care for them in a way that, you know, maybe a new homeowner, it's just not their thing. So they don't really care. But in terms of selling, I mean, even a lovely Japanese maple, we may have said this in a previous episode, but the idea is that the the expense to dig it up and transport it safely is probably not worth it. Correct. And the people who are scouting for special trees, they know where they're going and what they're doing. And if they haven't stopped at your house, then there's right. probably a reason for that. <laughs> it, would be, it would be unusual. Yeah, it's very, yeah. More or less when a tree is installed, it's going from a wholesale sale where they're growing large volumes, even if it's a very big Japanese maple, like in Oregon, those farms. So it's going from high volume where there's experts that all they do is dig trees quickly and efficiently. And then when it's, when it's at your house, it's in a retail setting. So you're, it's really backwards. So to go from a retail setting at your house, you're never going to get the retail price. It was, mm-hmm. You bought it more or less at a wholesale price, which included the labor to put it in. Which is kind of a strange concept that there is this idea of tree valuation because the tree in the ground growing, getting larger providing shade, providing habitat does have often a high financial value Mm -hmm. because you could not replace that tree easily in that condition. But when it comes to digging up trees and kind of moving them around and selling them, you, the homeowner, are not not necessarily going to be able to make, not that it's not worth anything, but you're just not going to make a, a profit necessarily. And it doesn't have the same value almost dug up as it does in in place. Right. As I understand. Correct. That. Now I'm thinking of instances when I've worked with a homeowner and a realtor. Well, the realtor, I was friendly actually with the homeowner and a realtor, and they contacted me. And so working with a landscape professional, a realtor, and the homeowner a scouting for houses, that is a good formula because the homeowner can more or less say, this is what I can live with. This is what I can't. This is my budget. I could, I could stretch to this limit. The realtor has the insight, this is a very good value for this area, mm-hmm. for this home. Mm-hmm. I can say this landscape needs so many tens of thousands of dollars to do what you, you want to create a patio and extra parking spot. And so then the homeowner can make a really informed decision. A house might be a good deal, but it's going to require almost 100% additional or another house. And maybe not quite perfect, but less work is needed and they could live with it as improvements were gradually made to the landscape. Well, that sounds like a great way to leave it as we wrap up this episode. Was there anything else to share on this topic before we call it? Well, let's see. Reaching out to your professionals, keeping it simple if you're going to be doing new landscaping. I mean, more or less, if you love Japanese maples, maybe there's some on the property, but to have 25 Japanese maples, the average person, it might be a turnoff. Or if it's, let's say, a a certain style garden, if it's a Japanese style garden that is a very distinctive aesthetic that the average person might not, it might not appeal to the average, to the masses. But definitely consider doing something. It sounds like it has the real potential to increase your home's value. I would imagine it increases traffic. There's a reason shows like curb appeal exist right? because it really is that, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, but that's really in the world of sales a lot of that is happening. So it, it pays to be aware and kind of embrace it and, and enlist the professionals who can help you to do it. I mean, it really is a good time to, to I think, invest 
in that. And so. the return on investment is much, the literature says much higher for the landscape than it is for the interior of the house. Oh, that's good So like know. if you make an mm. amazing kitchen or bathroom, it's not going to hurt the value, but it, you get more for your money on the outside. Yeah. All right. So we look forward to more awesome landscape topics in the year to come. Uh, We will try to announce breaks in the future if we do take a break. Uh, We just sort of went with it this last holiday season, but we thank everyone who signed up and started listening to us in the interim. And to those of you who are patiently waiting for this episode to drop, thank you very much. And we will always take questions, comments, corrections. We hope you get out and enjoy your landscape sometime soon. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.